in order for you and me to devise some kind of method or strategy to offset some of the events or re a repetition of the events that have taken place here in Los Angeles recently, we have to go to the root. We have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. And it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people oftentimes think we are dealing in hate. We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin to such extent that you bleach to get like the white man? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. No, before you come asking Mr. Muhammad, does he teach hate? You should ask yourself, who taught you to hate being what God gave you? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading and thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. On this podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about someone from history, black history. At the time of this recording, it is Black History Month. And if you've been following along with the podcast, I said that, you know, this month I was going to do something different in each podcast that I produced. It would be uh, highlighting black excellence um, in honor of Black History Month. And so on this particular podcast, what I'm going to do is talk about black history, a figure in black history, uh, the one and only Malcolm X. Now, for some of you, you may not know a lot about Malcolm X. And for others, you may know a lot. And even for someone like me, surprisingly enough, I went a huge part of my life knowing very little about Malcolm X. Just to give you a little background, as many of you know, or maybe you don't know, I grew up in South Carolina, Florence, South Carolina. Went to predominantly black middle schools, predominantly black elementary school, uh, predominantly black high school. And one thing that was common when I was in school was, you know, when they did <laughs> recognize Black History Month, 
it seemed to me that the conversation always was around the same people, you know, the same historic figures of, you know, our history. Martin Luther King, uh, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, uh, you know, Thurgood Marshall, uh, any black figure in history, you know, we pretty much, we heard about them, but, you know, it wasn't like Frederick Douglass, can't forget him, and that's just to name a few. We heard about quite a few of them, and they would talk about them, and they would, it, the conversations would be relatively brief, but I mean, not Malcolm, excuse me, Martin Luther King was, you know, obviously the one that struck the biggest accord and you know, people talked about, our teachers would talk about, you know, what he did in history and he, you know, they'd play the I have a dream speech and, you know, they talk about, you know, his place in history and what he did and, you know, what he wanted for black and brown people. And that was all fine and good. And, you know, they always, <laughs> yeah, Dr. King was assassinated on such and such, such and such. You know, they just, you know, it, it really covered over the fact that, you know, Martin was, you know, um, gunned down uh, and killed and his dealings with the uh, CIA and the United States government. But that's another story for another day. Um, however, again, black elementary school, black middle school, black high school. The one figure who never got talked about or was never mentioned was a guy by the name of Malcolm Little. Malcolm Little, who would later become Malcolm X, was um, someone that, you know, public schools, if you will, tried to erase, at least where it was when I grew up in the 80s and, you know, into the 90s. There was no talk about Malcolm X. The talk really <laughs> came about Malcolm X when Spike Lee made his movie called X. And by that time, I think, yeah, by that time, I think I was, yeah, I was in college. I was in college by then. But nobody talked about Malcolm X. And I, I find it fascinating that looking back over my, you know, elementary and middle school and high school years that, you know, he never got mentioned. There was never any education about Malcolm X. And that kind of speaks to the larger concept of you really can't expect public schools to just be the only teachers of your children. If you expect public schools to teach your children only, then you've lost the race. You have to teach your children more as well. And so I grew up in a household uh, with my parents and my parents stayed together until I was like 13 and then they got divorced. But, you know, my dad always and still has remained a constant in my life. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that he introduced me to Malcolm X and some of his teachings and his ideology, excuse me, ideology. And, you know, I kind of gravitated toward it. You know, Malcolm X was, in a lot of ways, uh, I've seen him being described as the American dream. 
He was the American dream, whether or not America wanted him to be the dream or not. Um, and it's well documented. Malcolm overcame and over he overcame a drug addiction and a life of crime to become, you know, one of the pioneers and one of our country's most four rights, you know, forthright civil right rights leader. I'm getting tongue tied here. Sorry. <laughs> forthright civil rights leaders. Um, and he was definitely a champion and uh, a champion of change for the 20th century. I think that goes without saying. Um, like I said, he turned from a life of crime. He was in prison um, in Massachusetts, I think, um, and he converted to Islam. He was in a, he was doing a six year sentence for burglary in Massachusetts, and um, just I think two years after his release uh, from prison in 1952, he became a minister in the nation of Islam in one of the temples in Boston. And um, from there, he moved to New York. Um, But yeah, that's who Malcolm was. He was someone who came from nothing and became one of the most iconic figures of the civil rights movement. But when people think of civil rights movement, they always think of Dr. King, and rightfully so. But Malcolm X was that guy. And in 1957, Malcolm X founded the Nation of Islam's newspaper, Muhammad Speaks. Now, this paper, even to this day, remains one of the lasting legacies of Malcolm X. Um, In that paper, he was able to spread his message, his philosophies on black pride, black unity, black beauty black power he was able to spread that widely across the country and for a time in the 1960s Muhammad Speaks was the most widely read black newspaper in the United States period it was circulating in like think the hundred thousands And that was saying a lot, given the fact of it was coming from Malcolm X. Because everybody didn't view him the same. Malcolm was often painted by the white media as someone who was a revolutionist, someone who was, you know, a segregationist. He was against he was anti-white. He really wasn't. He was just pro black. He was about his people. And he never condoned any violence. He didn't, you know, incite violence. (laughs) He did not tell the people that followed him, hey, go fight and kill the white man. No, but what he wanted to do was, and it was in his message, was to take care of your own. And then if someone, anyone stopped you from doing that, you had the right to defend yourself. And that's what he did. And that's what he preached. Well, the 
the Muslims who have accepted the religion of Islam and followed the religious guidance of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad have never bombed any churches, have never murdered any little girls, as was done in Birmingham, have never lynched anybody, have never at any time been guilty of initiating any aggressive acts of violence during the entire uh, 33 years or more that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has been teaching us. The charge of violence against us actually stems from the guilt complex that exists in the conscious and subconscious minds of most white people in this country. They know that they've been violent in their brutality against Negroes. And they feel that someday the Negro is going to wake up and try and do unto them as they have done unto, do unto the whites as the whites have done unto us. We aren't a violent group. We do, uh, we are taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to be, to obey the law, to respect everyone who respects us. We're taught to display courtesy, to be polite, but we're also taught that at any time anyone in any way uh, inflicts or seeks to inflict violence upon us, we are within our religious rights to retaliate in self-defense to the maximum degree of our ability. Malcolm's theories over the years became, it really became a blueprint for the black power movements of the 60s and the 70s. Um, I've read that, you know, he always got credit for cultivating the notion that quote unquote black is beautiful because it is. <laughs> um, but from 1952 to 1965 in the time where he was actually murdered. Um, it is speculated that the nation of Islam's membership grew from a thousand to 20,000. Then by 1963, Malcolm had become the second most sought after speaker in the world. 1963, a black man, the second most sought after speaker in the world. Now, in 1964, Malcolm left the Nation of Islam. And after he left the Nation of Islam, you know, if you're familiar with history, he changed his stance as far as how he viewed the world. His, I don't want to say his speech softened because I don't think it softened, but I think it, it had a different message. There was a little bit more love for everybody wasn't any less hate because I don't think Malcolm preached hate. But again, his philosophies on black pride, black beauty, black power. Those are some of the ideals that trickle down to my father. And subsequently, he gave them to me. And it wasn't until I read. The autobiography of Malcolm X in 1991 so it's almost been 30 years I was a freshman at South Carolina State University um, that's when everything kind of seemed to take hold but honestly 
I had no idea that the book even existed. I, I knew who Malcolm X was. Don't get me wrong. But again, my schools never taught me anything about Malcolm X. And as you all know, in 1965, Malcolm X was assassinated in New York City in the uh, Autobahn Ballroom, excuse me. And he was only 39 years old. But Malcolm's legacy lived on. It lived on through his speeches, through his interviews, through his messages, through his paper. Um, it definitely, his legacy definitely lived on through the book that was written by Alex Haley, the autobiography of Malcolm X, again, which I read my freshman year in college. Um, the paperback version of that book sold 400,000 copies in his first year. I mean, it, you, you couldn't keep it on the shelf. And I think, honestly, it is a central reading for any and every black person. I mean, you don't have to be black to read it, but <laughs> I think it is very essential reading. It is something that much like what my father did for me, I've introduced it to my sons and I, and I never tell them like, Hey, you need to read this. You need to think like this. No, I, when you read something, that's the beauty of reading a passage. Everybody is subject is subject to everyone else's interpretation. So what you take from Malcolm and what I take from Malcolm may be two different things. But no, I didn't see uh, someone who hated somebody. I saw someone who had an, a tremendous amount of love and respect for not only himself, but his people. And as I mentioned, I think it was 1992 when Spike Lee's movie X came out, which was a adaptation of the autobiography. And when that movie came out, it reignited the ideas and the structure and the, you know, the beliefs of Malcolm X. I remember going to the movies and seeing it. I went with my girlfriend and <laughs> I went to the tour. I went to the midnight showing. Keep in mind, this movie is three hours long. And given the fact that I had read the book. I just remember sitting there watching the movie at midnight and we, we didn't get out of it until like three o'clock. And I was on the edge of my seat. Wasn't sleepy or anything. It was just it was powerful. And since then, I've read the book twice again. He was a great American story, in my opinion. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Malcolm, one of my all-time favorite quotes of all of the things that he said, and I quote, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Close quote. And honestly, that quote is just as relevant as it was back then as it is today. And so I often wonder, how is it that Malcolm wasn't recognized the way that he should have been when it comes to the leaders of this country, 
and in the history of this country never gets mentioned. Why is that? How does that happen? In the civil rights movement, no, none, nonetheless, he and Dr. King didn't see eye to eye. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was, uh, that was pretty evident. They didn't hate each other. To my knowledge, they only met once. But the way that the media turned it was that, you know, King preached peace and love and Malcolm X preached hate. So even at that particular time in the 60s, you had a faction of the media that was looking to drive a wedge between these two black leaders. Again, both wanted the same thing, but they both went about different ways about trying to accomplish those particular goals for black folk. So ultimately, I am glad that my dad passed this on to me because if I had depended on the school system in the state of South Carolina, which in the 12 years that I went to school always was in like 47th, 48th place in all of the states in the United States when it came to education. If I depended on my schools in the state of South Carolina to teach me about Malcolm X, I would have never learned anything about the man. But your education does not end when the school bell rings. Again, I have to thank my father for teaching me about him and, te- and, and introducing that to me. And I'm glad that I was able to pass that information along to my sons as well. Malcolm X is an important part of history. He is an important figure in history. And I just had to take a few minutes of my time in this podcast to share my thoughts on one Malcolm X. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for me. Thanks again for checking out this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast because from time to time this year, we will be dropping bonus coverage and bonus episodes on the podcast. Again, that's going to do it for me. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. Five G's.